something is wrong, and it's time to stand up. You are listening to The John Aid Show. Trust no one. Trust no one. Trust no one. You found it. You're here. You're headlong down the runaway train that is the Anomic Age, and I am your host, John Age. Happy to be back with you today in the not-so-wee hours at a p.m. We got a great guest coming up. We got none other than Mr. John Waters with us today. But before we get into that, AnomicAge.com. Like all the likes, subscribe to all the subscriptions, and share those links with your friends, family, loved ones, and enemies. If you're so inclined, paypal.me forward slash anomicage, patreon.com forward slash anomicage as well. It would help me out greatly because as I say often, it's free for you, but not free for me. So if you like the show, please consider becoming a patron or making a one-time donation. Let's not waste another second in bringing Mr. John Waters into the show. John started his career in 1981 with the Irish Music Journal Hot Press. He went on to write for the Irish Times from 1990 till 2014. His first book, Jiving at the Crossroads from 1991, was about the cultural underbelly of Irish politics at the height of the haughty era. He went on to publish several other books and continued to have a star-studded career as a investigative journalist, or should I say, as an investigative journalist. Thanks so much for being with us today, John. It's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, we are. We are uh, yeah, a long way away, a couple of thousand miles I think, from you at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, but it's nice to talk. Anyway. It's been uh, it's been a while. Indeed, it's always great to talk to you. I'm so happy uh, to have you back on. We saw the the death of the Queen Mother here last week. And when I was thinking about this, I really wanted to get a perspective from across the pond, so to speak. And someone such as yourself has had had so much uh, journalistic chops and definitely uh, been at this thing longer than me. Probably has a, a heck of a lot better perspective on this um, than I well, do, for sure. And maybe uh, the American audience as well. I'm not so sure about that, John, because, you know, I mean, Queen Elizabeth, you know, she's the Queen of England. She was the Queen of England. Um uh, for a very long time, and uh, uh, you know, we have a certain view of that in Ireland. You know, certainly some of us have a certain view of all that, and we we take the royal family, the British royal family, with a grain of salt. Frankly, so certainly I do. Uh, not a lot of people, Irish people, don't. You know, they're quite interested in, the, I suppose, the gossip factor related to the, the drama, melodrama factor. Um, but. Uh, uh, you know, I think what's most interesting about it now is is that uh, she's to be replaced by her son Charles, who's to be Charles III, and he's quite a, I think, a sinister figure. You know, in 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 a geopolitical sense, because he's very associated with the World Economic Forum, with all kinds of very sinister agendas that they're promoting, including the Green Agenda, uh, depopulation agendas, and all kinds of things. You know, so. Uh, much as may one may have been kind of looking askance at at his mother uh, for a long time and thinking, well, what's all that about? Um, now we have to concede that you know we should have clung to nurse for fear of something worse, and 
that we may be about to get that something worse now and that this guy may actually be quite a dark player in the coming period. Uh, that's that's kind of my general sense of things. Uh, uh, he's made some very ominous statements from time to time. I mean, he's, he's been talking about, you know, the necessity for people to, you know, get rid of their stuff, you know, uh, and uh, he, he doesn't seem to include his own stuff in, in that particular uh, formulation. He has apparently something like 100 uh, uh, vintage motorbikes in his possession, and uh, I'm not sure what he wants to do with all those, and also quite a few vintage cars. So do we presume that if we're going to be eating bugs, uh, uh, bug sandwiches in the future, courtesy of uh, Klaus Schwab and his World Economic Forum, that uh, the, prince, the King of England will, will be uh, doing the same and will be riding around on a bicycle. Uh, I think not. So, you know, this, this grotesque hypocrisy. I mean, I think, frankly, my own view is, look, we, we, we're in the moment in, in history now where not alone are we post-monarchy uh, in that sense, but we're post-democracy and we've gone back to feudalism. And that's where this, that's the, 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 the period we're about to embark on now, where a tiny global elite will live in, in the manner of royalty and the rest of us will live in the manner of slaves unless we do something about it pretty fast. Yeah, I fear that, that we're definitely in that same, that same vein for sure. And I, I sort of I put out a show when this happened, and I swear it's been kind of funny. I had so much backlash from the show because I, I kind of I, I didn't really take a, a shot, but a bit of a satirical shot at the Queen, and and I think it was just Americans more than anybody in the UK that was just oh how could you denigrate you know the this, this historical yeah. figure? But I mean I kind of yeah. did it tongue in cheek, but I, I did a bit of a, a a Sex Pistols spoof on it for the the queen's jubilee in 77 and them going down the thames and you know yeah. and just sort of outlining some of the the tyranny of the monarchy that i think most people here in the states for sure i can't say that that would be true over there but most people here in the states seem to have this sort of snow white and the seven dwarves or the the crown prince of whatever disney cartoon and they sort of view it through that lens but yeah. I think they they've lost so much historical context. I mean, I was bringing up uh, Edward VIII supporting Hitler and and all kinds of dark undertones. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't even scratch the surface as to what went on with Ireland and Scotland and and the rest of the the kingdom. But I, I don't yeah. know if they have this myopic view or if it's just uh, I don't know what to really call it. But it, it's they they seem to have this visceral love, whether. Uh, merited or not towards the uh, monarchy it's bizarre yeah they, you see that you get that in ireland too or something like it you know this kind of um uh, voyeurism and the the the, the kind of uh, uh, soap opera element of the the uh, british royal family and, and in that respect you know they almost irish people some irish people tend to treat her as their queen you know uh, and and uh, uh, they speak about, you know, the Queen as if, and I always say, you know, quite pedantically, I say, Queen of what? Yeah. Queen of what? You know, because uh, she was here a decade ago and, and the first visit by a royal, uh, uh, by a British royal, by a reigning monarch since Ireland, Ireland became independent or supposedly independent. And 
you know, it was quite extraordinary because she made these speeches all around, you know, in which she really tried to present Irish history as kind of like, as something like a kind of a misunderstanding, you know, between the two nations, you know, that we, it's almost like she described it as kind of like a, a little prying at the traffic lights, you know. and, and Yeah, to swept it under the rug is just a minor, uh, minor <laughs> misunderstanding. Yeah, let's let's yeah we we'll have a look at the damage and oh well you know let's just fix our own repairs you know and not to not go any further with it. That was the kind they use this phrase shared history you know, um, so I'd say okay interesting phrase uh, how about shared rape can we talk about shared rapes you know because that's what it was you know it was a, a an extended rape over many centuries of Ireland and, and a, a plundering of Ireland and uh, you know a, a starving out of our of the Irish people in the end. So, um, you know, I, that's not, it's complicated in the, in the sense, how do you deal with that? What is your, to your response to be? The, the, the response in Ireland more and more has been to forgive and forget. And I say, oh, fine, forgive. There's nothing, in a certain sense, there's nobody left to forgive. Mm-hmm. But forgetting is a different matter. Forgetting is a very dangerous thing. And regardless of the feelings of people alive now on, in, on either island, we need to remember all the more coherently and cogently what actually happened and not forget it. Absolutely not forget it. Memory is essential. And unfortunately, in the wider world, what we're doing all, with all of our history is forgetting. You know, we're, we're forgetting, as we've seen in the last two and a half years, like we clearly have forgotten, you know, both Nazism and, and Soviet communism and, and what they did in their various uh, locations in the, in the last century. And, you know, we've also forgotten that those of us who are, as, as we did, as most of us did, read, we read our Orwell, we read our Huxley, read our Solzhenitsyn. We've forgotten that as well, uh, or else we don't think it's relevant. Well, it sure is. And this isn't, is not disconnected, as I've been saying, from the British royal family, because they're right in there, stirring this and pushing this and, and, and uh, you know, soft-soaping people into thinking that it's all progress. When in fact it's retrograde in a serious way, it's like we uh, we have uh, really slipped backwards into history. That you know, I think that there's that sense that maybe sometime at some indefinable moment, some years ago, we reached the kind of apotheosis of progressive, of genuine progressive history, and started to slide first slowly, then more quickly backwards. And we're now, it seems, you know, receding backwards at a rate of knots that is absolutely staggering. Uh, in, co- in the context of all the different things that matter in, in, in freedom, democracy, free speech, you know, freedom of assembly, freedom, you know, all of these things. Are, you can see now this kind of, there's almost this sense now that to talk of freedom is a far right activity. <laughs> that only fascists are interested in freedom, which is, it, this is how convoluted and, and, and perverted our political culture has become and our media culture which of course is criminal in the extreme so you know i i I, you know i i I don't really have a view on the queen of england or her death but i certainly do have a view on the royal family and their insidious role in history and their insidious role and sinister role in the present and i'm very alarmed at the the, um, arrival of king charles iii because i think that it could be, um, you know, I'd put it this way, John. I mean, it, 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 it seems like a strange coincidence that yeah. he should emerge at this moment. You, you just wonder, well, you know, what a coincidence that she should die when she did. 
and and be uh, and deliver him to the throne at a moment when uh, the second half of the of the World Bank calls the COVID project hmm. COVID project is about to begin. Yeah, I think so much of what you just said resonated. And I want to come back to what you said about the starvation of the Irish people, because I think that's so key to this, because it connects right into the broader scope of Charles and the Great Reset. And, and I don't know if if the British royal family, quote unquote, just had really good publicists. But I mean, we've seen this whole starvation into compliance uh, op run over and over again. I mean, you mentioned it with the Irish, which I think largely people have forgotten somehow, but... I mean, the same sort of game plan was used by Mao and Stalin and and any other totalitarian regime. Apparently, they just didn't have the good PR because, yeah, I mean, the the British crown did that well, to the Irish and everybody just sort of, oh, well, let's just forget yeah. about that. And then we have Charles coming in now, who's clearly pushing uh, the Klaus Schwab Great Reset uh, New World Order, for, for lack of a better word, saying, yes, you're going to eat bugs uh, in this uh, global feudalist system, yep. just as you might have seen three hundred years ago in the in and the castle, John, you know. <laughs> and and John, what are they promising us for the winter? Food shortages, yeah, and fuel. The most essential things, the energy, energy in terms of heat and energy in terms of food, will be short. Uh, there are many predictions, very dark predictions, about the consequences of this. It's unclear where the brunt of it will fall, but certainly the third world will be a dangerous place in the coming uh, period uh, in that context. Um, the, the, but Europe may not be safe and America may not be safe from the consequences because of the things we've been observing for the last uh, year and a half in the context of, you know, uh, bizarre fires and uh, at, at Food processing plants and uh, uh, wholes and uh, 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 wholesalers and, and, and so on, and uh, uh, derailing of potash trains, fertilizer trains, and so on. All of this, which you know, is entirely coincidental, of course, but remarkable in that it seems to converge at a time when, you know, you know, for the first time in in recent history. The, the governing bodies of the world seem to, to have lost control of their most fundamental responsibility, which is to look after the essential needs of their own peoples. And they have not alone lost it, but they seem to have let it go and seem to be relishing the fact that they've let it go because it now, they believe, affords them the opportunity to put a gun to the heads of the people and demand that they change most fundamentally the way they have lived for many, many decades. And I think that's this is a really ominous moment, and and so you've brought it together very very neatly, in the way you've you've described it just there now, because you know that's what we're facing. We're we're looking at famines around the world in the coming six months for certain, and we have no way of knowing what the consequences or casualties of that will be. We can hope that they will be minimal. We can hope perhaps that our own countries will be spared, but we cannot be certain of it at this moment in history. And I fear what we're going to see even more because we, we've become so removed from the land. I mean, when we saw these horrible feudalism incidences in the past, you had people that were still closely connected to the land. They still knew how to grow potatoes, grow some cabbage, grow some 
what have you. They had chickens in the yard. They had goats or something like that. Now I fear that people are so far removed from the land, they're more reliant on the government or assuredly more reliant on those uh, creature comforts of the electricity, of having the gas pipeline and so forth and so forth. Yes. So I, I yes, feel sir. it's going to be a really dark winter. I kind of mentioned that on another show. I, I look for a very bleak winter for everybody. Yeah. Well, that's very true, John, because, you know, uh, all of these skills are, you know, to do with memory. Yeah, and they can be lost in a generation. And I saw that myself in, in, uh, in Africa, in various countries I visited there, that countries, that, you know, that were, had been areas that had been at one time, uh, you know, horticultural areas, agricultural areas, were basically helpless. They had lost the memory of how to do the most basic things, to grow potatoes, to grow uh, vegetables of any kind. Uh, you know, to, to breed fish, for example, in tanks, the way that, that the other, uh, which is relatively easy for them to do, uh, to dig wells even, you know, that they were helpless in the face of the, 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 the situation of having no water, even though the water was like maybe 10 foot down in the ground and available, but they just didn't have the technology to get down to it. And, and you see, this is, these, are the, these are the things that people that were there, there that these these WEFers, or as Cliff High calls them, the mother wefers, uh, uh, that they, this is what they're actually pushing, really. You know, people talk about the, the, the famines of, in Ireland that happened in the 1840s, uh, between 1845 and 1847. And that word is repeatedly used, and it's used in Ireland, and it's actually the, the term is used, the Great Famine, which, you know, has a certain, you know, resonance, which is accurate, but they weren't famines in the sense that they were not uh, naturalistic phenomena. You know, the, the idea of the potato famine is a complete lie. Hmm. These were orchestrated famines. They were genocides. It was a it protracted genocide of the Irish people because we lost more than half our population in the space of about five years. And, you know, those who did not die were, were scattered around the globe. And this very same trope is now being used to blackmail the Irish people into opening its borders to everybody, saying, well, we went everywhere. We went. We were, we were allowed to go everywhere. We went to build America and yeah. Britain. We didn't do anything for nothing. People are being, coming to, are being invited into Ireland now and being offered free houses on arrival while the Irish people live in tents in the park. This is, so this is, and this is all part of the same agenda, which is essentially to deracinate all peoples both the people who leave and come to Ireland and the people within Ireland. I saw a survey yesterday that says that 70% of Irish people, young people, now say they want to leave Ireland. Mm -hmm. Shocking statistic, because we, of course, have a long history of hemorrhaging population and hemorrhaging the brightest and best of our populations uh, through history, going back to that time. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a terrifying moment, but the reality is that the media, which I used to work for, I'm ashamed now to you. I, I, I am deeply shamed by the association of the word journalist to my name. Uh, I have told my wife that if, uh, you know, on the day after my death, if there is uh, anything, any mention of the word journalist in any uh, articles about me, she is to demand immediately a correction and clarification that her husband disowned this profession a long time ago because it is a criminal profession which tells lies. It is nothing but a, a, an industrial lying machine now. 
the parts of it that are not telling lies are there to distract people so that they're not conscious of the fact that something radical has changed, something has flipped. Uh, that the business model of the media has flipped from truth-telling to telling lies. And this is a terrible situation though, that many, many, many people do not know. We face this appalling crisis that we're sketching here only, John, because we only have the, the most tenuous sense of what it will be like in the next six months. But the vast, vast majority of the Irish people, the British people, I'm pretty certain, and I suspect also a great number of the American people have no idea what's coming. Yeah. And everything you just mentioned in Ireland, honestly, I didn't even know the same thing was going on there that's going on here, where we have no semblance of a border at all, and the government's all too willing to bus people, fly people, give people credit cards, put them up in a nice house, and it's the same scenario, like you said, where we have we have literal shanty towns in these yes. big metropolis, uh, metropolitan cities, where it's just these huge... I mean, what other people would call a small town, but it's a, a shanty town of homeless people. And, and we're yeah. busing and, and giving accommodations and everything under the sun to people that have come here illegally. And, I mean, I just see this as an attack on the culture where I don't think they want any sort of sovereignty and I don't think they want any sort of nationalism in any country anymore. And in order to do so, they've just uh, dissolved it just flood the culture with everything that's not the culture. So there's no Irish culture. There's no American culture. There's no Scottish culture. There's no, can whatever country you want to plug in there, there's no semblance yeah, of that culture anymore. There's no pride. There's no, hey, remember this was our tradition. This was, no, no. It's just now it's been influxed or dissolved into the greater Muslim culture or the greater Hispanic culture, or the greater... Asian culture, whatever, you know. Uh, I'm kind of rambling well, here, but I think you know what I'm saying. Well, yeah, but you see, I think it's simply that they want to eliminate it. They use the word diversity all the time. But in yeah. fact, what they're implementing is the opposite of diversity. They're destroying all diversity because they're essentially rendering the entire population of the world into a singular soup, culturally speaking, which is being no culture, essentially, or the culture of consumerism. Uh, you know, and violence, really. That's the culture that we're, that awaits us if this continues, unless it stops in its tracks. And, and uh, you know, it's very interesting, you know, that you say that. I mean, because this is depicted implicitly in the way it is presented in the media as some kind of extraordinary act of benevolence and, and compassion on behalf of governments that they are allowing all these people in. But, of course, it's the la that's the last thing it is. Let's... let's you know, let's rule that out immediately from the start and ask ourselves, yeah. what is going on? What, what's going on? They're, first of all, they've been doing this for years in order to drive down wages, and they've succeeded in doing that going back to the 70s, which has mean that, meant that the, 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 the blue-collar population of, the American, of America, for example, has been impoverished uh, by, by, in that period because their wages have basically remained static and way, gone down in real terms. And, and another factor that has arisen from that is the way that the media, which and and the left, the left, the Democratic Party, for example, which used to espouse the the, 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 the and cherish the blue collar worker, mm -hmm. now repudiate that precise person. As does the media, who direct all of their attentions at the upper echelons, economically speaking, the so-called elite, who then use race as an instrument of, of self-protection. Uh, using, in a certain sense, the black person as a human shield against the accusation 
that they have betrayed their own people and yet pretending to be compassionate and caring. And what's actually happening here is now that we have imported this into our country, into Ireland, which has no history of, you know, a mixed of a diverse population, has no history of slavery, has no history of racism or anything like that. Yeah. And the same language is being used here. You know, you know, they, 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 uh, uh, what the 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 cultural race treaty uh, uh, theory uh, that that uh, the the CRT is 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 being used here as though we were a part of America. You know, I'm not making any particular uh, statement about America, but yeah, I'm saying certainly. above all that we are not America. We yeah. are not America, and yet you have people coming here from Africa and standing up in the street. Uh, you know. Uh, calling Irish people racists in the country that has made them welcome <laughs> and, uh, 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 you know, saying that they're entitled to reparation from the Irish people on account of our uh, uh, imperialism of the past. Our imperialism? This is, a, this is, this is what we're saying. I think they've got to. the wrong <laughs> island. <laughs> and these people are being educated on arrival in Ireland by NGOs, non-governmental organisations, into how to exploit the Irish system and how to intimidate the Irish population. So we're in this bizarre situation now where, you know, and, and it's a very interesting aspect of it as well that journalistically, the journalists treat this as if it were literally as it is described by the politicians. And the artistic and, and cultural uh, uh, spokespeople, the artists, the writers, the painters, the poets and so on, have nothing to say except the same stuff as they would have been saying in 1970 as if nothing has changed in the world, as if nothing has changed in Ireland, except that we have suddenly discovered this vat of racism in a culture that had no race issue whatsoever until 20 years ago. This is, this is how bonkers it is becoming. And, and people are not, they're bringing in hate speech laws and, and, and accusing people of being racist and calling people fascists. These people who locked us in our homes back in 2020, who, 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 it issue, who created apartheid in Irish uh, uh, law uh, a year ago by bringing in uh, passes that you, you had to have in order to go into a cafe and sit down and have a cup of coffee. You had to be able to produce a document saying that you had been vaccinated with a, an experimental poison. Um, mm. These people call other people fascists. Now, that would be hilarious if it wasn't so frightening. Yeah, it's the truth. It's really just almost unbelievable, but I can't. I think it kind of goes back to the same thing we were talking about before, where they have no knowledge of history, and the only history that they get is this pseudo history that they perceive or soak up from the the propaganda arms, aka the media. That they're right. just we don't we don't know right. anything about what the queen or the king or any of that stuff. We just know the Disney movies. And that uh, whatever Meg Markle's doing or whatever, yeah, you know, all this like, just just rubbish, it's, it's just like, nonsense. <laughs> there's been a globalization of, of thought, really. I mean, critical race theory has become as relevant in a, culturally in Ireland. I mean, in the, in the terms of the discourse, of the ideology, yeah. not in fact. It has no relevance whatsoever, in fact. But it is spoken about as though it were actually, we were, as I say, the 51st state of America. Mm. and attached to, 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 you know, to Miami somewhere, you know, off the flank of, uh, yeah. of Miami. 
uh, you know, uh, that's how people in Ireland, or a lot of a lot of people, politicians, journalists, and these kinds of people, uh, now treat our country as if our own history had not happened, or as if it had happened differently. That we were actually slave traders back, you know, 150 years ago, when in fact we were being starved to death by the monarchs of England. You know, like, and now the same people, uh, you know, revere the monarchs. And, and, and cry themselves to sleep when she dies, you know? Uh, it's absolutely mind-bogglingly moronic. Uh, uh, but we are helpless against it because for the first time in, in our recent history, the conversation of Ireland has been stilled. Uh, Irish people were always garrulous and, 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 you know, communicative and argumentative and so on, you know, and the Irish pub was famous for that. But in the last uh, last two years, uh, John, you know, that's changed radically. And I talk about this very often, that uh, particularly as a result of the so-called marriage referendum of 2015, when the LGBT goons decided on, descended on Ireland and basically intimidated into silence. And I, I, call, I call it the, our national lockjaw. Hmm. That, that people are now afraid to talk about anything in case they might say the wrong thing. And even among friends, people are, you know, becoming more and more reticent and have to look around them, you know, if they, if they want to say something that might be in the slightest bit even edgy or dangerous or even, you know, slightly, you know, pushing the envelope just a little bit, maybe even just asking a question, what do you think of this, you know? Uh, um, you know, I remember a poor woman in, in down the country in a town which was being absolutely inundated with outsiders there a few years ago. Uh, and these are outsiders, you know, they're, they're people who have no understanding or affinity or affection for Ireland whatsoever. They're here because they're being offered houses and, and, and money and so on. Sure. But this woman was asked her opinion by a journalist at, the, at our front door. And, you know, uh, you know, what do you think of all this? What do you think of all these people coming? Isn't it great type of thing? And she said, well, true, you can't open your mouth. This became like an absolute scandal in the locality and in the, you know, to see, to even suggest that you couldn't, that the fact you couldn't talk about it was itself, that to say that was itself racist. That was the point. So this is how bonkers we have become. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I really worry, John, that we are heading into a, the darkest, darkest place that we could imagine. I certainly think so in America. If you look at uh, the Biden speech of last week uh, or the week before, yeah, with that the red grapes, the colours of behind, which is pure, you know, Nazi. It's it's it's, you know, it's uh, uh, and designed to be such. Now I don't say Biden himself is responsible. I don't think the poor man knows what he's doing in most days. But it seems that certainly whoever orchestrated that, whoever wrote that speech in which he demonised half the population of the United States. They knew precisely what they were doing, and they effectively were trying to start a civil war. And if they start a civil war, John, I, I don't see how they're going to uh, avoid turning America into Cambodia. I honestly don't. That's a great point, and I couldn't argue a bit with you. I think that's just ominous. I mean, everything about that speech was just ominous. And if, you know, whoever his speechwriters were or whoever was running uh, – the op, because it was clearly an orchestrated. We got the blue lights yep. and the red lights, and we got the soldiers behind him, and we've got all the the iconography yeah. and the shadows casting these these images and everything. I mean, come on, it 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 looked like you were watching V for Vendetta or whatever dystopian movie you might have been in the seventies. It, it yeah. looked, it had all the the imagery, and I, I was going to kind of piggyback on what you were saying earlier because. I kind of wonder sometimes, there's a, the old saying that perception is reality. 
And I think so much of our perception now has just been been isolated and focused to whatever the heck they want us to see or to feel or whatever. And I, I don't think that these things are necessarily reality, but for the 90% of whoever perceives them as that, you know, they're going, yes. Irish was I, Ireland, rather. Excuse me. Was was this racist country of oppressors, just like America, just like England, yeah. and it doesn't even matter. I don't think to a certain degree if it was reality, because these people believe this insanity. Well, it's it's amazing, John. You know that uh, this is an interesting way to see it, because you know we had a, a national census earlier in the year. I, I happen to be out of the jurisdiction for that, even though we weren't allowed to travel at the time without a face mask and I couldn't fly. I managed to get up to Northern Ireland on that particular night, by sheer coincidence, obviously. Uh, but you know, one of the questions there was about your colour. Now. <laughs> Irish people don't have any color. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, but I'm glad you said it. Yeah, they don't. We're, I don't have any color. I'm not. If, if anybody asks me what color I am, I say, well, right now I've got a farmer's tan. <laughs> is, that, is that a color? <laughs> is that a color? Normally I'm pasty faced. Is that a color? You know, uh, like. But, but my point is that you know, uh, uh, you know, this is a, a complete fabrication of Irish history. And it's an attempt, because as you know, once you say, once you write white on that, I've never written white uh, on, uh, because I'm not white yeah. on anything. I've never answered white to any question that I've been asked about myself in my, in my life and will not do so. Uh, and, and, but once you do that, because then what you're actually saying is, I am a racist by your definition. Yeah. Because that, that's the way it's set up. That's the way this CRT uh, uh, game is set up. And, uh, you know, Unfortunately, America has fallen for that and, and, and in a big way, in particularly to the corruption of the media and the New York Times, I would say, in particular, and CNN and those those bodies. Uh, but Ireland had no reason to fall for it whatsoever. We have no such history. We have a history, ironically, our history is much more akin to that of the African or, or, or you know, uh, the, the, uh, the Caribbean, somebody, the inhabitants of the Caribbean islands, some of those places which were colonized by Britain and the Euro other European countries. Uh, we have that because we have, a, we have a colonial history, as indeed as America, you know, in its, in its past. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is, this, these things are hugely complicated. And, and uh, but this complexity is dead now, mainly due to Twitter. Twitter has destroyed uh, complexity. I, I always say to people, you know, that if in 30 years time, let's say the middle of the present century, there is some kind of an investigation by some body in the world, if there is any body left in the world, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the, an investigation into why, how was it that European Western civilization collapsed in the third decade of the uh, third millennium? Millennium, um, and I said that a team of anthropologists would be that set out sent, sent out to investigate this, and they will go into the ruins, the debris of Western civilization, and after much coring through all of the debris and all of the remaining documents and all of the what they can find of the traces of our lives and our civilization, they will emerge with a single piece of paper, and on that piece of paper will be one word: the cause of it all, and that word will be Twitter. Because that has been the, 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 the instrument of reduction in our culture, which has reduced it from complexity. And that's kind of I mean, an instrument of the, the reversal, the, 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 the regression 
the sudden stop of, of, of Western civilization and then it's gradual and then escalatingly rapid, sliding backwards. Twitter, I think, and, and by extension, other social media platforms, but predominantly Twitter, because that was the, the market leader. Uh, really, it has, I mean, it, is, it has allowed the, the most stupid people, the greatest bullies, to require the loudest voices. And um, no civilization can, can, can survive such a thing. I think what you said was so key. I want to talk about that again, the reduction of complexity. Oh, my gosh, that's so spot on because I feel like the average person doesn't grasp what that really means. They have reduced the complexity. They they like to, to bathe in this concept of diversity, while in contrast, they're really reducing the complexity. And what they really want is for everybody just to check their box. I mean, I've noticed that just you know, anecdotally in conversation, if you start to, to say, well, I don't believe in this, but also don't believe in that. I mean, it confuses people and it, it kind of causes consternation. We're like, well, you've got to be conservative or liberal. You've got to be Democrat or Republican. You've got to have the red coats on or the blue coats. You, you know, you know, this sort of well, polarizing yeah. idea. It reminds me from a line from a poet, an Irish poet called Paul, Paul Durkin. And the line is a quote from a speaker. It says, uh, and pardon my French for this one, there's a slide, you know, it says, um, you must be either uh, uh, one thing or the other, or you're nothing but a fucking romantic. Yeah. You know, well, I'm a, I'm a romantic, because I'm neither one thing nor the other. I'm not right, I'm not left. If anything, I would call myself at this stage, because I, you know, I suppose, unthinkingly over the years, if you'd asked me, in the first phase of my life, I would have called myself a liberal in the sense that I believe in liberty. And I still mm-hmm. do. But the meaning liberal, uh, the word liberal has now become so contaminated uh, by toxicity and so on, and by lying and by, by deception and, and bullying, that uh, you know one couldn't honestly, genuinely, decently call oneself a liberal. Uh, and... I, I I never really was happy with the idea of, cons- of a conservative, although I think that there's a lot to be said about uh, uh, an awareness of tradition and of its significance in, in 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 the present, and that you know we should always be alert to the necessity to preserve um, that of the past, which was useful and good. But at this point in my life now, I would call myself a civilizationalist. I think that's the most origin thing the world requires: civilizationalism which is really to uh, recover and renew Western civilization before it dies on the vine. Uh, because that's, I think, where we're now headed, that we actually are at the end of the epoch, unless we, unless, unless, unless. I keep saying unless, you see, because I'm an optimist by nature, but at the same time, my head tells me to be pes- to be more pessimistic, because I'm not sure that there are many unlesses left before the whole thing falls off the cliff. And uh, so I think that, you know, to restore Western civilization is the only project worth being interested in now. And I think it very possibly it's getting very late in the day. Yeah. And I fear that for better or worse, uh, many times on the worst side of things, but I think America has kind of stood as that bellwether where the rest of the world kind of looks to us to, to get their cues and like you were saying before, you know, if things go as Biden or whoever his handlers 
uh, want things to go. We're going to see, you know, full-blown civil war here in the U.S., which is just going to mean bedlam, I think, everywhere, because they're going to go, oh, well, look what they're doing. Well, <laughs> like, all well, bets you know, are off. Like, the, the teacher's out of the classroom, so everything just goes to bleep, you know? <laughs> well, John, you see, like, if you take that thought and then you move to the Ukraine, Ukraine story, you see a similar pattern. Yeah. You see... You see bizarre activity, uh, actions and, and mm. uh, decisions by Western leaders that are objectively insane uh, if you exclude one factor uh, because they are resulting in not the decimation of Russia, but the decimation of Europe mm-hmm. and indeed the potential decimation of America, the American currency and economy and so on. And the one factor that I say you you have to, that that excludes because the other the only explanation on the face of things is that these people are crazy, are insane, that they've lost their minds completely. But then, if you take in this other factor, then there is the possibility that they are not crazy, that they are something else. And that other factor is what are called conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Wrongly, really, because it's a complete misuse of the term conspiracy and also theory uh, but what I mean is that the explanation would be then that all this is planned that all this is intentional that this is a deliberate takedown of Western civilization certainly in the short term certainly certainly at the level of economy of culture uh, uh, of finance yeah. uh, of, of democracy of de- de- democratic values uh, like free speech, free movement, free you know, association, all those most fundamental things are being taken down. And they're not being replaced by anything other than totalitarianism. I mean, they, the CEO of uh, BlackRock, the biggest uh, investment company in the world, is a man called Larry Fink. And he has said that democracy is a very poor fit for the kind of capitalism we are now entering. Totalitarianism is much better. They really love this Chinese system. And and so it's only when you actually bring those quote-unquote conspiracy theories into the centre of the table and lay them down in front of people that then the possibility that there is, as it were, a rational explanation for what is happening. I don't say a sensible reason, but I say it, it has a certain rationality. That is the rationality of those who want to enrich themselves to the greatest, to the fullest. They own 90, only 95%, it seems, of the world's wealth already, and they're jealous for the other 5%. They want to rob the working-class people, the business, small business people, and they already succeeded with, to a very high degree with the COVID scam. Yeah. They, they have transferred $4 trillion, American dollars, from the middle-income uh, uh, small business sector uh, to the richest oligarchs in the world. And this is supported by the left, it's supported by the media, it's supported by the artistic communities, the writers, the novelists, the poets, the painters in the world, it seems. There are no yeah. dissenting, well, there are, there are, you could, I could name you three or four uh, uh, names, you know, Van Morrison, Morrissey, Eric Clapton, and, you know, a couple of others, uh, Ian Brown, and then you're running out of names, and that's it. Uh, all of all in the same area, by the way. Incidentally, all rock and rollers. But rock yeah. and roll, uh, rock and roll has forgotten what it was invented for, what it was about—the cry of the slave, the cry of the the, the, the downtrodden. 
it is now being it's now seen itself as entertainment for the oligarchs, uh, for the the, the the Illuminati, as it were. Um, so we are now in this bizarre situation that uh, you see conspiracy theory. Just to touch on that, you see this is an amazing cons- uh, phrase, which has managed to do something that seemed impossible. To, you know, to actually arrest people's thoughts before they reach their frontal lobes. You know, before they actually get to the point of being you know, processed and, uh, for, for, for articulation. And the work of this term was invented by the CIA. Very interesting phrase, because what it does, if you think about it, John, I say this to people, it's, you just think about those two words, conspiracy theory. Yeah. Right, now the word conspiracy has kind of sinister undertones, obviously. But that's because it, it implies that somewhere there are people engaging in a conspiracy which might be harmful to other people maybe to everybody and to people in general so conspiracy is naturally a, a sinister term but what they've done with the concept conspiracy theory is they've flipped the sinister elements from the word conspiracy onto the word theory and onto the theorist as it were so there's the person who suspects there is a conspiracy who is the sinister one by this definition it's a very interesting thing because when you think about it, a conspiracy theorist would have been, well, when I started off in journalism, would have been a great journalist. Mm-hmm. He was the guy in the bar who was saying, I know those guys are up to something. I'm going to find out what it is, and I'm going to put them on trial. I'm going to put it in the paper, and I'm going to expose them. That's what journalism was. Now journalists are using the term conspiracy theorist to close down people like that. And so all of these tricks are quite amazing, quite ingenious, you have to say. You know, you have to give it up for these people for who, who created these extraordinarily ingenious and malign and sinister uh, instruments of censorship and, and, and um, uh, prohibition. Uh, but uh, they have really chilled our democracies to the bone now. We are in serious trouble. And uh, I think that... Uh, we're into the final act of Western democracy now. Unless we can actually turn it around in the course of that act, then there will be no civilization and there will be no democracy. And sadly, that's the game plan. Yes. I was really paying attention there, especially when you were talking about these these rock artists and the, the poets and everything else, because you were so spot on. I mean, I can't think of hardly anybody else as well that would be actually doing what I think most of us got into that kind of music for. I mean, like that, yeah. that was the crux of rock and roll. If you want to go all the way back to the, like the juke joints in the, in the South, the slave era, or even whatever, post that. And you, yeah. you juxtapose that to what we have now. And it's just, it's just talking points of the mainstream media, talking points of the aristocracy, talking points of the monarchy, whatever you want to say. I mean, it's just, laughable i'll throw john Lydon in there as well because i think he's definitely oh, yeah, very course. much uh very yeah. punk rock i don't think anybody else is punk rock anymore no, ironically enough because most of them like seem it. to just be going as far left as mal will take them but i i know i was listening I, I, to even very old interviews of him uh coming I, out against jimmy savelle i think in the 70s and i was going wow that's pretty prophetic but I have to. I have to apologize. He was the the name I was reaching for. I was trying to make five, I think, and he was the fifth name that was in my head. And I don't know how I forgot about him <laughs> because he is, in a certain sense, 
he has been the most visible of all for a long period because he spoke about the Trump phenomenon in a highly intelligent way several years ago also. And he's he's really shown himself to be somebody really thinking in the way that you would expect an artist to think as culture changed around him, to pay attention to it and not to simply, you know, continue the same line just because they, that was the line they had in the beginning. And that's what's really happened to a lot of these artists. Like they just pursue a straight line uh, that they, they began back in the 60s or the early 70s. And mm-hmm. that's them, their T-shirt. And that's all they know. And they assume that the world isn't changing or hasn't changed. The bad guys are the same as they were back then. The good guys are the same as they were back then. Well, I'm sorry. Back then, you had JFK and RFK. Now you have Obama and Biden. There's a hell of a difference. There's a hell of a difference. Yeah. If you knew, if you knew even a quarter of the truth about these guys. So, you know, I think that uh, this, you know, they, they need to seriously need to update their computers uh, with some, some information, some raw data about what's actually happened in the world. But again, you see... This is where the, the term conspiracy theory comes in, because it actually blocks them. Because as soon as something becomes a conspiracy theory, it becomes untouchable for somebody who wants to hug to the system. They cannot dare to even mention it. They must immediately. I mean, somebody was telling me this morning that they, they, they talked, they used the phrase groupthink to a, a, a relative. And he immediately said, oh, that's a far right concept. <laughs> No, it's a psychology concept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, this is the kind of idiocy you're dealing with, really. It's, it's, it's fantastical. It's, but it's so hor- horrific. It's so, it's so alarming and it's so despair-making, you know, that, that a society or that a, a civilization that had reached such a stage of advancement could recede in such a, into such banalities in such a short time. It's, it's, it doesn't seem possible. And yet you see the most some of the most supposedly, you know, uh, uh, distinguished artists, writers succumbing to it, you know, and, and, and coming out with cliches and banalities in order to show their loyalty to it and that they're not going to dissent. They're not, you know, and if one or two of them, one or two of them have got badly burned from time to time or scorched, let's say, not badly burned, and you can see them recoiling and pulling back in. It's really amazing. It's really amazing to watch. It's, but it's really like that we're living backwards, you know, that time has moved backwards. And we're now, in a sense, you know, that you could, I think, you know, the 1980s, that in a certain sense, culturally, it was a far more advanced time than, than the 2020s, which seems bizarre, but it's true. You know, it's like that, you know, if we were thinking now about what the future, we might hope the future would be like, well, we'd be hoping it might be a little bit like the 70s or the 80s. That, yes. that would be an that would be major progress. Do you think this whole thing is just because these artists are just chasing the money or trying to stay relevant? Because I, I think there's kind of this this larger thought sometimes that everybody's controlled. I don't think necessarily everyone's controlled. Maybe the, the top whatever 1% of the artists out there maybe. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't think anybody's well, pulling I, everybody's I, I, strings. I think something a bit more extreme than that, or a bit more, I suppose, um, I don't know. Um, I think actually that what it means is they're not artists at all. They're fakes. Yeah. And they're really, they're just mimics, really. Like a lot of those guys, they, they became famous because 
they weren't real. I mean, if you think of somebody like Van Morrison, he's completely real person and a real artist, like one of the greats. Like, I mean, people, Van Morrison can stand alongside Yeats, uh, William Butler Yeats as an artist. And he's that caliber. I mean, he's in that line in Ireland. Hmm. Uh, uh, but, for, but you know, the others can't. You can say the same Jim, uh, John Lydon as well, so, uh, as somebody who, inter, inter, who entered into history at a particular moment. I had an electric effect on it, like just people could not take their eyes off that guy and what he was saying and what he represented and and so on. Morrissey the same, you know, yeah. it's amazing. You know, you see this, this is a unique personality, a unique vision, you know, of, of, of reality and uncompromising with it, you know. Uh, and and but, but most of the people we're talking about are, are basically just mimics. You know, they're plagiarists, essentially, who managed to get by by disguising their plagiarism. And now they want to retain their positions, unsurprisingly, in a sense. They, they don't have anything to defend. They have no art to defend because it's not theirs to begin with. So why would they defend it? Whereas Van Morrison does, Morrissey does, and John Lydon does as well. Uh, uh, and Eric Clapton, similarly. You know, these are the greats. You know, and I think, you know, I like to think that if people like, uh, you know, Hendrix, I don't know, maybe Lennon, maybe, I don't know, Elvis, yeah. if they were here, they would be able to see this too. Yeah, I tried to sort of paint the picture of that in a previous show, but it probably got lost in translation because most people don't know history and are so far removed from it. But I tried to paint that picture of how revolutionary it was in 77 for, for Leiden and the Sex Pistols as a whole to be going down the, the Thames there in their own flotilla, in complete mockery of the <laughs> of the Queen, yeah. in complete mockery of this jubilee that everybody, you know, was just adulation, yeah. pomp and circumstance, puff your chest out, and they yeah. were just taking a, a a bleep at the whole thing, you know. <laughs> and just just let me bring you right up to date now, John. My wife told me this morning she read something out of some news site about a person has been arrested in London, in England. Okay. For holding up a sign which says, not my king, in relation to Charles III. Yeah. Not my king. I've been arrested. Now, you could not more graphically illustrate what we're talking about. That is, it's like we have slid back to the Middle Ages without even waking. That suddenly we awake one morning in the Middle Ages again. And all of that is just a dream. Mm -hmm. All of Western civilization is just a dream. The Enlightenment is just a dream. Rock and roll is just a dream. And we're back in this place that we, do, we know not what will, will come at us next. That's truly startling. I didn't know that. That's just insane. Mm. That's a, a, such an apt way to put it. We woke up from the dream. Like, we woke up from the dream of having the semblance of freedom, and now we're in this bizarro world where you're getting arrested for holding up a sign? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. I know. I know. Like, you know, one of the things about this, John, is that you cease to kind of, when you speak these things, you're no longer, you're, never, you're no longer trying to shock, as it were. You're, you're no longer trying to have an effect. You're simply recording what's happening with disbelief and with numbness. It's not like I'm trying to say, that, oh, well, wait to hear this. No, no, because then, because it's too dismaying. The implications of it are too dark. 
for me to feel anything other than sickness, nausea, to have to relay that fact to you. And the fact that the very fact that it can happen means that hordes, thousands upon thousands of not millions of people implicitly support it, either through their actions or their inactions, through their agreement or their lockjaw. They, they don't, uh, they don't uh, uh, resist it in any way. They are not appalled by it. This is the point. The lack of uh, being, a, the lack of, of, of outrage, and all of this is is the most striking thing. That's the thing, and ultimately, Lord Johnson Sumption, the, the uh, former Supreme Court judge in the United Kingdom, who came out against the lockdown, said that at a very early stage. He says, you know, that what happens when tyranny enters into a civilization, it, says it tends not to be because the tyrants entered in and took it over, it was because the people themselves gave up their freedoms. And that's and, what's happening. And sadly, I think the, the COVID PSYOP, I've started calling it PSYOP-19 just so I can avoid getting further kicked off of YouTube, but the, the COVID PSYOP was just sort of the, the groundwork, kind of the test phase. Let's see if these chumps are going to go with this. And yeah. in going along with it, uh, connecting to what you said before, in the Irish culture, just the the atmosphere of getting together at the pub, having this common discord beyond Twitter, beyond the social media, it was that person to person, face to face interaction. You know, it might be an argument, it might come to blows, but you were there in person. You weren't in the stupid nether nether world from uh, your computer in the basement somewhere. And they've taken that away. And they've sort of gotten everybody to go along with that. And I think the next phase is going to be even more even more draconian, kind of going with what you said before, where they're going to have this pre-crime. Oh, well, well, John over there in Ireland had this thought, so we're going to lock him up before he actually commits the yeah. crime. I think that's... Well, first of all, we're going to give him a visit. You know, we're going to give him a... We're going to call in, you know, and, and you know, say, you know, just a little friendly warning, you know, yeah. and then age comes, you know. But, you know... You know, the thing is, the police have ceased to police. They are now simply thought police. Yeah. Uh, they don't police crime. They police thoughts. And, and uh, you know, this is now being, as it were, you know, celebrated and welcomed by, um, by erstwhile liberals. I mean, what we discovered about liberalism, really, in this is that it wasn't ever about freedom. That the word was a, a steal. They, they stole the name, but, but they didn't ever intend to... to to enhance the actual quantity of freedom, uh, and that they were really interested in changing humanity. That was their fundamental mission, and still mm-hmm. is. They want to change, and essentially, this whole project is a liberal project in that sense, in, in that ultimately it is about the transhumanist project, which is to 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 create a human 2.0, uh, who will be essentially. Uh, a man god in his own imagination uh, and uh, will be controlled by at the central grid and uh, uh, will be, uh, um, you know, as, as Klaus Schwab and those say, you know, he will own nothing. Yeah. And they will be happy. They will be very happy. Which sadly, I mean, I think that was one of the, um, uh, the brave new world. In his Brave New World Revisited, I think like 63, he was he was saying, we've got to convince everybody to love their servitude. And that's yeah. kind of exactly what the heck they've done. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, people often say, you know, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of argument going on. And I was at a conference recently, this topic came up at, uh, 
you know, whether, whether Orwell or Huxley were, yeah. were most accurate in terms of their predictions of the future. And I think both were actually uh, reasonably accurate in certain respects. But a book that actually is probably more relevant, in my view, mm-hmm. is a book called Lord of the Flies by William Golding. Yeah. Uh, which is a bunch of, of kids who basically go crazy, uh, you know, when they, when, you know, they go feral. And, and you can see that they, they return to a free civilizational state. And in the end, they are ch- chanting, you know, kill the pig, do him in. <laughs> bash him in, kill the pig, bash him in, kill the pig, bash him in. I think we're on the brink of such a culture now. I think we're on the brink of such a moment. We've already kind of had it in some sense with the BLM stuff and the LGBT yeah. stuff and so on and the Antifa stuff. But I think now it will be go mainstream in the coming period. And the question then is, you know, will there be any super authority? Is there any authority left, good authority left in the world that can intervene and arrest Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Justin Trudeau and Leo Varadkar and, and, and all of these people, just put them in a, in, a, in a black mariah and take them away and then go on TV and say, it's okay. The problem is being dealt with. Please return to your homes and, and wait and we will uh, be able to uh, uh, inform you further about this mission to cleanse the world of evil at this delicate moment in its history. That's a moment that I, I, that's that's what I cling on to, John. That somewhere, somewhere there is a cavalry lurking in a hill, on a hill somewhere, and a, and a, a little copse of trees, uh, waiting to enter the fray. If that isn't the case, then we could be in serious, 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 serious trouble. And uh, uh, in, in fact, terminal trouble. That's a very bleak outlook, but I wish I could disagree with you. <laughs> I wish I could. I think I've often thought so so many times when you look at the BLM and the Antifa and all this stupid mess that's been going on, I sort of look at it through the lens of, yeah, all this is going on while there's food on the table, there's clean water, uh, or at least theoretically clean water. Uh, everybody's got their EBT cards and plenty of clothing, and they can go back to a nice house. And I often sort of think, that so much of our quote unquote civilization is just sort of window dressing of civility. We've got these, this window dressing, you know, we put on our costume and we're going to be very civilized. And then I think, well, what's going to happen if you go without food for a couple of days, you know, yeah. <laughs> that minor disagreement you had with your spouse is going to get into a big disagreement. And the neighbor across the street, well, he's got a can of beans. It looks like, well, we got to go raid his house and, yeah. It's going to turn yeah. into a Lord of the Flies scenario well, pretty quickly. That's, that's precisely my point. You know, that, uh, you know they, they, it is said that we are essentially nine meals, nine square meals from uncivilization, from chaos, mm-hmm. from the breakdown of the social order. And we are also, in most of our countries, you know, precisely about the same, three days. Uh, food is what are, is available in most of our countries in terms of the supply chain. Yeah, if that if there is the slightest hiccup in that, there become there there will happen a, an interruption, an interruption of one day would be enough to trigger the most appalling events. People have no idea, John. They're not they're not listening. They're not listening. They're not paying attention. They don't know their history. They don't. They haven't studied anything. Um, I don't mean in any kind of great depth with the midnight oil and stuff, but just simply paying attention to the meaning of events. 
And now we're into, I think, as I say, the last act of this. And the conditions have been put in place for perhaps the greatest, um, the greatest tragedy, meaningful, meaningfully used the word of tragedy in the history of the world. I think that's pretty spot on. Well, I know we're running short of time. Do you any, do you see any way out of this whole thing? Or are we all just going to sort of uh, try to do what we can for well, as long as we can? Yeah, I, 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 I don't have a, a particularly original thought, but I, I would like to relay. Uh, there's a, a Belgian psycho- psychologist called Matthias uh, Desmet, uh, who has been speaking about this whole thing in the context of mass formation and mass hypnosis for the last uh, year and a half or so, maybe two years. Hmm. And he's written a book recently called The Psychology of Totalitarianism. And his advice is that all we can do really is simply quietly reiterate the truth again and again. That, that there's no point in, in trying to evangelize people or, you know, you know, instruct people or, you know, argue with them, you know. That you just simply, by bear witness, I suppose, in your demeanor and in your words, to the extent that you say, you know, this is what I believe. No, I don't agree with that. And, and leave it at that. Don't get, don't get mad. Mm-hmm. And that by doing that, that we, there's a possibility that, that, that we can break the trance and enable people to wake up. That we won't persuade them, but we may somehow jerk them out of this, this trance that they're in, where they're not seeing what's real. I agree with that. I, I, I have a sense that's great. I think if you look at the history of totalitarianism in the in the Western world, in, in Eastern Europe, for example, and I, I've read a lot about that, and particularly in, in Czechoslovakia, where you know the Soviet Revolution happened in, in, in 1989, and people like Václav Havel, you know, a playwright, was a, and again a revolution of real artists, you know, mm. uh, um, and uh, I think that uh, you can see that that's true. By simply quietly going about their business and not allowing, not conform, not conforming, refusing to comply, but in a quiet, gentle way, passively, that that's ultimately what works. Because in some ways, you know, these people that what they're people like Biden. I don't say Biden now. I say Biden in in a sense. Biden, the Biden Inc. movement, whatever that is. He's just a front man. Uh, uh, that that he he is really a person you know he he is trying what is happening is they're trying to provoke people to attack mm-hmm. them so they can then extinguish them that's that's the next phase in my opinion and it's how it's, they're trying it in Ireland as well in their own little ways it's pathetic and puerile I mean the things they do and the things they say are absolutely by any objective measure they would be laughable in the 1980s they would have been laughed out of town. but don't take that for granted that doesn't apply anymore in the conditions we find ourselves in but I think that that's still the best way is simply tell the truth live the truth as Havel said then let let the pieces fall where they may that sounds good and I love what you said there about not trying to beat people over the head with this stuff because I've said this many times the vast majority of the public is beyond beyond the pale, like short of God coming yeah. back and talking to him and intervening. I can't help him. So just yeah. uh, I think it, I think if Jesus came back now, he'd be called a conspiracy theorist. Absolutely too. right. That's the truth. Where can people find you and support you? Um, I'm on Substack, uh, johnwaters.substack.com. It's called John Waters Unchained. 
and like in the Johnny Cash song, you know, it's a beautiful song that Johnny Cash did towards the end. Yeah. Um, um, so that's where I'm, I write, I write uh, articles there. I put up videos. I might put this video up at some stage in the next few days. And uh, um, that's kind of where I'm to be found at the moment. I don't do other social media. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I, I abhor it. Uh, but uh, that's, that's where I am. All right, John. Well, that sounds great. If you missed all that, please check it out at uh, anomicage.com. If you'll stick around for about 30 seconds, I'll wrap things up and uh, talk to you off the air there. Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, folks, as I just said, if you missed any of that, please check out anomicage.com. I'm going to have today's episodes as well as his last two episodes. He's been on, thankfully and luckily, three times now with the... Uh, barrage of wonderful information in each show so i can't stress that enough anomicage.com so if you're finding this on some other social media channel you're probably missing a lot of the other shows so go there and you can find it all as I always say you can't do everything but you can do something so please try to get out there do your part and make a difference until next time i'll be seeing you sooner than later in the anomic age Thank you for listening to The Anomic Age, a John Age project. For past shows, further info, and to comment, go to anomicage.com. That's A-N-O-M-I-C-A-G-E.com. Till next time, thank you for listening to The Anomic Age. Thank <laughs> you.